Amen. How are we doing? We, uh, just to reiterate, uh, one gathering next Sunday, uh, 10 a.m., the next two Sundays. Uh, that's the only time of the year we'll probably be doing that. Uh, but the next two weeks, uh, 10 a.m., so don't come at 9. Uh, you'll be really early. Um, maybe we'll find you something to do, but, uh, but, uh, but you'll be pretty early. Um, uh, Christmas Eve, uh, the 24th at, at 5, and, and then just a reminder, too, about the opportunity to, to, if you're looking for an opportunity to give above and beyond as the year kind of comes to a close, we are seeking to raise funds for our mission trip to Brazil over spring break. Uh, got about 11 folks uh, going on that trip, uh, seeking to raise, their, the, each team, team member is contributing to raising some of these funds, too, but uh, about $30,000, roughly, to get everybody there on the trip, and so I would encourage you to prayerfully consider that if you're looking for an opportunity to give uh, here at the close of the year. Uh, you can designate those gifts here on Sundays or on, on Realm as well. Um, as we continue our Advent series in the opening of Luke's Gospel today, uh, we're just going to dive right into our text. We're in Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles and let's stand together uh, for the reading of God's Word. Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this time uh, to to gather together uh, to celebrate um, your love and grace. And to specifically celebrate uh, in this season and and this morning uh, the gift uh, of, of you sending your Son to be born in our likeness, uh, to take on flesh, uh, to be the God-man who, who lives in our place, who dies in our place, who is raised for us. Lord, we, we thank you for your, your love and your grace that you show us in the incarnation. Would you help us to see the, the, the miraculous wonder of it, uh, to see that and be moved by your love, that you would love us so deeply, uh, to empty yourself, to become like us to be with us. Lord, would you, you move us by your love for us to draw near to you as you have drawn near to us, uh, to love you and pursue you with all of our beings. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. Well, in this, in this passage uh, comes the fulfillment, not only of the angel's promise to, to Mary in, in Luke 1, 26 through 38 that we looked at a couple weeks ago, but it's also a fulfillment of, an, of the angel's promise to Joseph uh, that's recorded in Matthew's gospel. Uh, we read this, Matthew 1, 20, verse, uh, verse 20 and 21. Uh, but as he considered these things, Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, 
And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew then goes on to point out that all of this is a fulfillment of prophecy. In verses 22 and 23, he says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Luke 2, 1 through 7, the angel's words to Mary and Joseph are, are fulfilled, and, and Jesus is born, and God is with us. And in so many ways, uh, Emmanuel uh, really sums up the meaning of Christmas. God with us. God with us. John Wesley, uh, the great founder of the Methodist Church, as he was dying with the, the least last bit of strength he had left, his, his final words that he spoke were this. The best of all is God is with us. God is with us. The best of all is God is with us. And as he died with those words on his lips, may you and I live with those words on our hearts. Luke 2, 1 through 7 points out to us the great lengths that that God was willing to go to in order to be with us, in order to, to bring us to him and save us to himself. It shows us that he was made flesh, that he was made man, humanity, in order to draw near and and be with us. The text is highlighting for us, I I believe, the the humanity of Christ, the humanity of Christ. First, we we see the historical humanity of Christ. Luke, uh, the author of this gospel, is a medical doctor. He's also a historian, and he writes his account in his gospel account here, the gospel of Luke. He writes it as a historian. And this is plainly seen in in verses 1 and 2, right? He says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. You see what Luke is doing here is he's setting the birth of Christ in a particular moment in history. He's setting it within the context of, of world history, that this is a historical event, this is a historical occasion, it has a date, it has a place, it has, it has, it has characters involved in, in history here, notable people from history. He specifically mentions a, a registration here or a census that was called for by a specific Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. Augustus reigned roughly, uh, you know, roughly 30 BC until he he died in 14 AD. Uh, so narrowing in a period of time here. Luke then mentions that this uh, was the first uh, registration when Quirinius is governor of Syria. Again, another person who can be charted in history, another uh, ruler administrator in the region of that time. Again, he's setting the context for the birth of Christ within this historical moment, a historical context. And what this is telling us is that, that Jesus is not just a, a feeling. Uh, he, he's not just a, an idea. He's, he's not just a, a philosophy or a way of life. He is God in the flesh. God made man. Part of his being the God-man that is so essential for our salvation is that Jesus was and, and is a historical person. His birth is, is a marked point in history. In fact, so much, of, uh, so much so that we have sought to kind of count our years, largely based upon uh, his, his, his life, his time of his birth. Luke is highlighting for us the historical humanity here of Christ. 
He was born during the reign of Caesar Augustus while Quirinius was serving in an administrative authority position here in the region. And Luke actually points out that the God works through the decree of a Roman emperor, a pagan emperor. He works through that decree to accomplish his purposes and fulfill prophecy. To fulfill the prophecy uh, that we see in Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Right, this is a prophecy that, that the, it is tied to the fact that, that the ruler to come, the Davidic king that, the, that Israel has been longing for, the, the true and better David that is to come, is going to come. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And you see here, too, that this historical action by these historical rulers explains how a couple from Nazareth ends up having a baby in Bethlehem. As they're, they're called and, and they need to go to the, the, their hometown, where they're from. And, and we're told Joseph gets up, he goes from Nazareth, he goes to Bethlehem because he is of the house and lineage of David. Again, identifying Jesus, he is the Davidic king. He is the promised king of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of this in, in so many ways, in, in ways that those prophets didn't even understand. He's a fulfillment of their words. Seemingly accidental events of history are no accident at all, but rather acts of God's providence to accomplish his purposes in his time. We're meant uh, to take note of this and, and to see that. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. He's a real human being born at a specific moment in history. Luke is pointing out the historical humanity of Christ. He's also showing us in this passage the humble humanity of Christ. The birth of of Christ, you see here, in, in every material sense, is anything but spectacular, other than the virgin birth part right here, but, but the location, the birth, the birth location, kind of where the, the, the scene of his birth is what I'm speaking of. Luke is, is very brief. He gives very little explanation as to uh, the setting of, of his birth, but he, this is what he says, verses 6 and 7. While they were there, while they're in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Buried to the point, Luke tells us uh, it's, it's time to have the baby. They have the baby. They're in a, they're in a barn. They're in a stable, right? A, a cave or, or, uh, that was used to house animals at that time. Uh, Jesus is wrapped then in swaddling cloths and he's put down to sleep in a, in a feeding trough for livestock. Right? His birth could hardly be any more lowly. I believe we're also meant to see a contrast that's being made in this passage between uh, two kings, uh, Caesar Augustus and King Jesus, right? Uh, the, the, the opulence and privilege of the Caesar, right? Caesar Augustus and the impoverished, humble beginnings of King Jesus. In fact, as you work your way through this, this passage, you, you kind of work your way down with the, the people who are introduced from like the world's view of status and power and opulence, right? You start with Caesar Augustus, who is, who is the image of, the symbol of power and privilege as the Roman emperor. 
Then Quirinius, who is you know, a few steps down, he's a, a regional governor, a re, has regional authority and power. And then you have Joseph, which is many steps down from that, a, a poor man, but a free man. And after Joseph, Mary, an unmarried, pregnant woman, last of all is the baby who is Jesus Christ, who is not just a baby, but the son of an unwed mother. He's not just born in a nowhere town, but, it, but in a barn in a nowhere town. It's really hard to imagine a less powerful, less privileged person on the planet at that exact moment that, than this baby who is sleeping in a feeding trough. Here is the eternal Son of God, the omnipotent creator and sustainer of the universe, becoming flesh, becoming a, a helpless baby. The humility of this is described so well, I believe, by J.I. Packer in this quote. He says, God, God became man, the divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. It's truly mind-blowing to think about what God was willing to do in the person of Christ. That our God would be so humble. That He would make Himself so low. But this is the glorious message of the Incarnation of God Becoming flesh, becoming man, becoming a helpless baby born in these impoverished conditions. It's what we read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. The Apostle Paul writes there, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." This is, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. This great God, full of incomparable glory and majesty, infinitely greater than anything in the universe, has put himself into the form of man and into the form of a helpless baby. Jesus set aside the comforts of heaven. He, he, he stepped out of that and into our mess to come alongside of us, to be with us, to make intimate personal relationship with him a possibility. And this changes everything. You know, you think about our, our celebrity crazed culture of social media. You, you have it, the possibility because of the access through social media to, to know all about your favorite singer, your favorite actress, your favorite uh, athlete, whoever it might be. Because of the access you have through social media, you can know all sorts of things about them. You can, you can see the photographs that they want to post and share for you uh, of them with their family and them on vacation, uh, their home. 
all sorts of things, whatever it is. It's a little creepy, by the way, um, the voyeuristic nature of us on social media, right? It's a little creepy about how much you can kind of learn about somebody and see some things into their life like that. But, but when all is said and done, you may know a lot about them because of the access you have to following them on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, but you don't really know them. You don't really know them. There's no understanding between you. No real relationship. It's just fandom. They don't know you. You don't know them. Really. You know, it's, it's one thing to stand at the ocean and, and, and watch the breakers, right? Or to look out over the expanse of a mountain range and behold, kind of, and feel, in a certain sense, the, the glory and power and presence of God. But it's still another thing to know Him personally. It's another thing to have a real, intimate relationship with Him. And in the incarnation, God in Christ has made that kind of relationship possible. The humble humanity of Jesus shows us the great lengths that God was willing to go to in order to make it possible. He empties himself of all his glory, all of his beauty, that he might be God with us. That he might save us from our sin and death and bring us back to himself. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9 we read, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the the humble humanity of Christ. Jesus makes himself nothing, that he might rescue you. That he might make it possible for you to truly know God. And this leads us to see the glorious humanity of Christ. Think about how wonderful uh, the incarnation, the birth of Christ truly is. You see, if, if God were, were just holy, you know, he, he's only holy, only perfectly holy, then he would not ever come to us at Christmas. He would not be born to rescue us. He would instead just simply demand that you step up your game, right? You do better. You work harder. You, you, you will become more moral. You obey more. You become more pious and do enough good to kind of earn a relationship with him. And if God was simply, you know, this all-accepting God of love, the, the God of our culture in so many ways, then he wouldn't, he wouldn't come to us in the person of Jesus either. He wouldn't need to, right? He'd simply be able to overlook your sin and, and the evil in your life and just embrace you and celebrate you as you are. What this means is that neither the God of moralism nor the God of relativism would have ever, ever bothered with Christmas, but the biblical God, the one true God, who is infinitely holy, so he cannot pass, look past or ignore your sin, it, it has to be dealt with. The one true God who is also infinitely loving, which means he knows, he knows you will never be able to do good enough, enough good, to make yourself moral enough, pious enough, to earn a standing with him. So he has come down to you. He has made himself nothing, that he might come and be with you, that he might live for you and, 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 and die in your place. He, he makes himself nothing. He takes on flesh. He, he lives the sinless life that you never could, obeying in all the ways that you and I fail to. And then he 
goes to the cross and he suffers. Suffers in every way that you've ever suffered and so much more than we can ever comprehend. He suffers in your place and pays your debt for your sins. And he's raised displaying his victory. God doesn't simply send a messenger with a message. No, he, he comes himself to be with you, to live for you, to die for you, to be raised for you. He comes to bring you back to him. There's so much that, that could be said uh, about what this means. That, that God becomes flesh. That Jesus is God with us, God among us, as one of us. So many things, so many implications. But one thing that it means that I want to talk about today is that it means that Jesus knows more of, than anyone else what it's like to be in your shoes. He knows more than anyone else what it's like to be in your shoes. He understands your pain and suffering more than anyone. The book of Hebrews tells us this in, in multiple places. In, in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, we read, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The author of Hebrews there is is making the point that it is essential that Christ become fully man, that he's fully God, but that he's also fully man. He has to be made like his brothers in every respect in order to be their representative, in order to live in their place and die in their place and, and, and win the victory that they cannot win for themselves and rescue them and pay their debt for them, that he must become that way. He must be like them in every respect. And because of that, he has suffered when tempted. Jesus in his flesh faced every temptation you and I will ever face. We read later in Hebrews four fourteen through 16. Since then we have a, a great high priest who, is, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one, in, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. He faced every temptation that you and I faced, yet he was without sin. He passed the test that we fail again and again. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The incarnation means that God suffered and that Jesus triumphed through suffering. This means, as, as, as the author of Hebrews is telling us, that Jesus has infinite power to sympathize and, and comfort. Right? Think about it. Have you, have you been betrayed? Have you been betrayed in your life by those close to you? Have you suffered? Have you gone through great pain, great loss? Have you been lonely? Have you been destitute? Have you faced death? So has he. In every way, so has he. In ways that you can't comprehend, so has he. You, you might protest and say, but you don't, you don't understand. I, I prayed for God. I prayed for God to, to work and for God to help. I prayed for him to show me things, for him to give me hope. And God has ignored my prayers. Well, Jesus understands that too. 
You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, Father, may this cup be taken from me, and he gets turned down. You might feel like God has abandoned you, yet on the cross, Jesus suffered a cosmic abandonment that that you can't comprehend. As the Father turns away and, and pours out his wrath upon him in your place. As Tim Keller writes, he says, Christianity says God has been all the places you have been. He has been in the darkness you are in now and more. And therefore you can trust him. You can rely on him because he knows and has the power to comfort, strengthen, and bring you through. This is the glorious humanity of Christ. He had to become flesh that he might live and die in our place, making the necessary payment for our sins. There there is no other way There's no other way because you and I will never measure up and be holy enough because we're not perfect. And he cannot simply overlook our sins and accept us as we are because our sin, he's perfectly holy, right? It it grieves him. He cannot be in the presence of it. It must be dealt with. There's no other way than for God to become man in the person of Christ to live for us and die for us. And that's what he did. And in so doing, he he knows, he understands. He's able to not only forgive, but to comfort and strengthen and and bring you through. Jesus made himself poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich in him. He is God with us. He made himself nothing, a helpless baby born in poverty. He lived the sinless life that you never could Obeying in every way that you fail to obey. Facing every temptation that you face, yet passing the test. He suffered in all the ways that you suffered. And that you continue to suffer, yet, yet to a degree you and I could never fully comprehend. Even dying on the cross to make full payment for your sins. Not simply the physical suffering of the cross, but the cosmic suffering. That's what we cannot comprehend. That's what Jesus did to be with you. The question is, what are you doing to be with him? What are you doing to be with him? So many people will sing the words this Christmas, right? Jesus, our Emmanuel. We'll we'll sing those words. But the question is, do you really know him? Is he really with you? Are you really with him? And what's keeping you from knowing him? What's what's keeping you from being with him? Is, Is it some struggle with sin? Is it a lack of discipline, of making time to, to be in the Word, to be in prayer? Is it that you feel like you're, you're simply too busy? Ah, there's just too much going on. I, I don't have time. If you're saying, I, I wish I had a little bit more time to pray, or I wish I had a little bit more time to, to dig into the Word and spend time listening to God through His Word, I wish I had a little bit more courage to speak up on His behalf, to tell others about him, then what you really mean when you say that is that it's going to cost you. It costs you something. But what would it really cost you? Uh, An hour here or there to get in the Word and pray? Another evening of the week to be in fellowship? Risking the approval of others as you confess your struggles and invite them to walk with you in that? Or as you speak up and share the hope of Christ and what he means in your life. 
whatever it costs you, whatever it costs you, it's truly nothing compared with what it cost him. Look at the manger. Look at the cross and see Jesus doing all that he did for you to be near you, to be with you. And let that draw out your love for him. Let it move you to truly make him the center of your life in every way. And then he will be with you and you will be with him. As we prepare uh, to come to the Lord's table, right, to share in his supper together, let us remember the great lengths that our, our God was willing to go to and has gone to in order to be with us. Let us remember how Jesus emptied himself of all glory, of all beauty, to be born a helpless baby lying in a manger. Let us remember the, the glory of the incarnation, that the Word was made flesh for you and for me. And as we take of the bread and the cup, may we think on what they represent. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us to pay for our sins, making it possible to know God and to be with God. Believers, you're invited as we continue to sing today to to come forward to share in this meal by breaking off a piece of the bread, uh, dipping it in the cup. We offer juice and wine to take as your conscience leads you. The wine's in the glasses marked with with twine or string. Uh, If you're not a believer in Christ, this is an opportunity for you. Look at the manger. Look at the cross. Look at the lengths that God was willing to go to in order to be with you And, and, and receive him. Let him be with you. Put your hope in Christ. Turn from your sin and and trust in him this morning. Uh, There'll be pastors and prayer responders here in the back. We'd love to visit with you. love to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. Let us pray and let's continue to worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to to gather uh, together to celebrate your love and grace. to, To see and think on the wonder of the incarnation, the glorious good news of the gospel, that you were willing to make yourself nothing, that you were willing to take on flesh, to live the life we never could, to die the death that we deserve, to be raised victorious over the grave, over sin. Lord, you help us to see uh, the wonder of your love that you would you would go to these lengths to be with us. And would you let that move us to make you the center of our lives, to put our, our hope and trust in you above all else, to not simply add you to a little side part of our life, to give you a few minutes here or there on Sundays, but Lord, to give our lives to you, to love you, to want to know you more as we dig into your word as we pray. Lord, to want to live for you and share you with others. Give us courage by your grace, by your love, to speak up and tell others of the hope that we have in you. Lord, would you move in hearts in this room for those who have yet to, to put their hope in you. Lord, I pray that they would see the wonder of your love in the incarnation and the birth of Jesus that you would make yourself nothing to come for them, to be with them. Lord, help us to draw near to you. For this in Jesus' name, amen.